What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office. Today, I'm here with a very special guest, somebody I've known for, damn, over 25 years and somebody that's meant a lot to me in my career. Please welcome the founder of Loud Records, founder of SRST, and currently the founder of Spring Sound, Mr. Steve Rifkin. The first person that really gave me a little crack in the door was Mark Ronson, and then Mark and I decide that we're going to start making the scene across all of the record labels and meet with all the titans, the heads of these labels, the people that we all were enamored by. And I go and meet with everyone and understand back then Mark is, you know, he's a hot DJ in the city, but it's relative. You guys were breaking artists. So Mark walks in and you guys want to know who Mark is, but no one cares who the manager is. So I go to Interscope, I go meet with uh, bad boy and people are looking right at Mark and I'm the guy holding the records basically with the exception of my meeting with you and the first time we met you said the two of you have something special I couldn't believe you acknowledged me you said the two of you guys got to stay together that's what the magic is right here is the magic so let's talk about a deal so we left I remember we absolutely lost it on Broadway and 56th Street and I drove by that office today, which is why this interview came full circle for me and why it's so special. But um, thank you, by the way, because you gave me that first spark where I said I could do this. I mean, those, for me, anybody that comes in that's just creative, because when, when you have hit records, it's like, is amazing, but you're getting hit every which way too. Like, you don't know, like, a radio station is trying to get something out of you. The, another record company is trying to get something out of you. This, that, or whatever. So when you guys came in, it was such fresh air. And the two of you together, I mean, was truly, I mean, it was, you brought an energy and a light into my office that I thought it was really special. That's amazing. I mean, we had these like bounded decks and it was like, this is Mark. These are our artists and this is what we're going to do. And our models were like you guys and Puffy and, and Jay and Damon uh, we didn't end up doing the deal, by the way. You know that. Yeah, I know that. Yes. Um, but it really gave me this motivation that, like, one of those titans that I acknowledged as that identified me as somebody that had a reason to be in that room. Um, so we went on, and, and obviously, you know, you still, in my opinion, sit in that Mount Rushmore. But one of the things that came with your run at Loud was your ability to identify talent. And for me, when someone asked me, like, what it is that I – love most about what I do or what would I say I'm best at and for me it was that I always gravitated towards people that were elite people that worked so hard at something that they could become so good and whatever I could do to help bring that to life or whatever I could do to help harness that or help them in their life was what I wanted to be next to and you were able to identify talent all the time. And I'm not necessarily referencing you pointing me out when I came in, but you look at the artists you signed and for everyone listening, it's Wu-Tang and Mob Deep and Fat Joe and Three Six Mafia and Akon, I could go on. And it, it's not just the artists, it's the projects. Did you know early because you got in the music industry so early that you could see talent, that you could spot talent? See, I never, to this day, I don't consider myself an A&R guy. I still consider myself a promotion guy. So I think what my gift was that I would listen and I would see the energy in the room. So th that's how I really picked it. Like when I met Riza, he was known as Prince Rakim. 
I met him on my 31st birthday, March 2nd, 1993. And he comes in, and the office that I was using was in, I was living in L.A., but I was in New York, and I was working at the RCA office, and it was a quarter of the size. And I was with Eastwood from the Alcoholics. And Rizzo comes in, he goes, you mind if um, the guys come up? I don't know if there were three guys, five guys. I never mean that I think there would be nine guys. And they came up and they gave me a concert. And some guy came running into the office. And they couldn't really open up the door and said, that's that shit. And walked out. I never saw him again. I got like a $5 million check waiting for him, like if he ever wants to show up. <laughs> um, but at, at the end of the day, it's just all energy for me. So it's not like, yeah, I could, oh, this guy has an amazing voice or he has an amazing pen. I, yeah, I, I think you don't need talent to see that, but you need to see the whole picture. So the energy, which probably in some ways is like that it factor, the intangible, the thing that nobody can describe or you can't work to achieve or you can't buy it. Um, you wanted to be in the music industry because your father was in the music industry, right? I didn't know what I wanted to do, to be honest with you. I mean, I was so dyslexic as a kid. I didn't know how to read or write till I was 14 years old. So I was robbing, I was stealing, and you know. My you really work. couldn't read or write till you were 14? Yeah. So, and then I realized I wasn't going to grow either. So my basketball career was. Um, <laughs> were you good? You were good, probably. Good shooter, right? Yeah. Good distributor. You feel like you made the little no looks before everyone else. I would continue <laughs> you on the park doing the no looks. I think I heard about some of your Chelsea peers, like little dump offs. Um, so. I um, I was getting in a lot of trouble, and I was doing it. I didn't need the money. I was just doing it just to get attention. And then um, my grandfather called me down. He was, you know, where all Jews go. You know, they retire in Florida. Florida. And um, he called me down. He goes, get down here. And he was really the only guy I was petrified of. And um, I flew down. He says, you're going to end up dead or in jail. I'm like, it's, it's time to cut the bullshit. And um, he goes, I'll talk to your father. Because my father wants nothing to do with me. I mean, he loves me, but this is like you weren't. You didn't have that rapport with him, like you did your grandpa. Um, no, I mean, I gave my father as a kid a lot of aggravation. Yeah. So, you know, him, my uncle, my cousins, like I was like the black ball of the family. It was like, like when I would come, they would all. Do you think like? I met with someone, I won't say who they are, a week or two before I went away and incredibly successful. And they told me they were dyslexic too as a kid and they didn't realize it till later on when they found out that their child was. They really never, they knew it, but they didn't want to say anything. Were, were you acting out as a kid because you like, no one really could figure out what was going on? Nobody, yeah, don't say, no, 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 nobody knew what dyslexia was, right? So, and then, um, and I had a, crazy ass temper yeah so they put me on some meds to control my temper and it was just like didn't work nothing worked yeah. but my grandfather you know he said i'll talk to your dad and then um and don't get it wrong i mean my dad is my idol i worshiped him it was his 91st yeah. birthday yes you know so it was like there's not a day i don't think about him but um i mean i drove this guy <laughs> <laughs> crazy um so Two weeks later, don't forget there are no cell phones. There aren't even pages at the time. And um, the house phone rings. He goes, pick me up um, at five o'clock at the airport. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, just pick me up at five o'clock. So Eastern Airlines, JFK. Eastern uh, Airlines. Yeah, I pick him up. He goes, all right, we're going into the city. So I laughed and I was like, oh, who are we robbing today? You know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, he goes, no, nah, we're sitting down with um, your dad and Uncle Roy. 
and they and they like you know my uncle pretty much threatened me and he was like all right we're giving you a shot you fuck up one time like it's a wrap you're in the river like i mean yep. he, he said something crazy and like we went at it and and that was the start of the record business for me and you became synonymous as like promo guy right like and obviously mm. for again for people that don't know your history coin the phrase street marketing right street Created team it. yeah street team i mean yeah i'm 18 years old so like they had me going to visiting radio stations down south you know who were program directors who were like 35 40 years old i'm 18 i'm like why do i want to hang out with them for i would end up going back to the colleges and then i just put a whole network of people together i mean it took years but and that energy was because you know i always for me i think of like people like us non-traditional kind of journey into what we're doing and something brought us to like our industries and for me i love sports i love hip-hop music and the whole culture around it watching it i was watching it i was younger and um you know you were you were in the birthing it you know you were at the beginning of it i listened to one of your interviews and talk about um like the very first hip hop record put out commercially that you were a part of, right? Or your yeah, father, my, my dad and uncle put it out and I promoted it. I was, I was on the road, but you know, at, at the end of the day, like when I met you, I mean, Akon was probably the biggest artist in the world. And we, we were talking and it was like, when I said you and Mark were fresh light walking into an office, like once I knew that you love basketball, that was our energy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And we would sit and, and talk and talk for hours about it so to me you know it's really just it's it's just all about energy so when wu-tang's performing and that kid comes running in the room that energy you pick up on and then i mean i was like i'm never like first of all i never saw anything i never saw a rap group that was nine guys or eight guys at the time kappa wasn't in the group yet so it was um i never saw energy like that yeah you know and then e swift from the alcoholics you know we just put out his record at that time and it was like, you got to sign these guys. You'll own New York in two seconds. Only when I'm drunk. That was that was yeah. my joint. Yeah. But and RZA as a as a businessman and RZA at that age having because you know I'm as I've started to study more and more of the influence that like that era had in my opinion on business in general um, and how corporate America's moved. Um, when you think about what RZA was able to do and how old was he when he put Wu Tang together? Twenty. Oh, I said twenty twenty one. But I mean, Riz is like you know. There's there's only a few. There's yeah. Riz, there's Jay, there's Puff. I mean, who just you know, there's Chess, and then there's Chess Plus. Yeah, like yeah. you know, and it's just like he's always thinking you know four or five steps ahead. Yeah, Riz is definitely one of those like. I feel like his legacy will grow in time even more so when you really look back at what he was able to do. The guys are touring more today, thirty years later, than they were in the nineties. Who's your like? I don't even know if you're allowed to say this, but like when you look back on it, like who, which one of them when when they came on the record, you was like, okay, that's the guy for me. Everyone has one. It's or you can like combine Ray and Ghost, but everyone has a style within. Nah, it. I mean, it, it was totally different. You know, it was like how how it was set up. You know, Meth's voice was always different, and you know, and and then if it was Cream or if it, even if it was his own record, like he was the hook. Yeah. Right, you know, Ray and Ghost, they were the best storytellers in the yeah. world. You know, Jizza was the worst know. myth, yeah. So it's like, and that's it, but you know, Meth had to stick out 
because that was the record. Yeah. MBTHOD man. What Fat Joe, who you also obviously have been a part of his career from the beginning, uh, and I saw last night. You guys, I saw on the gram. You guys are still thick as thieves, right? One hundred percent. Similar, like to that group of entrepreneurs, and and it's mentioned, but I don't think mentioned as much is how incredible Fat Joe's run and staying power and like dominance as a personality and as like an executive and an entrepreneur has been. You know, to this day, I t- I tell everybody, I say Joe's the best A&R guy in the business. Like he, you know, he knows. If he started in 90, I forget when Flojo came out, um, 91, 90, 91, 92. So 30 years later, I mean, this guy reinvents himself time and time and time and time again. You know, and then from him, you know, signing, like I didn't discover Joe. Like I met Joe when he brought pun to me, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we both laugh about it. And we tell the story is I meet Joe over the phone. I'm in Chicago and a guy by the name of Mickey Benson introduces us over the phone. And I'm flying home, and I'm home is L.A. at the time, and I'm flying back to New York on Tuesday. And between Thursday and Tuesday, I must have gotten 25 calls not to do, not to even take the meeting with Joe. That he's a killer, a drug dealer, an extortionist, this, that. And I was like, nah. And I said, Joe, nobody wants us to have this meeting. I don't know if they're scared for us to be together, this, that, or whatever. Um, and I'm just letting you know. And we're taking the meeting, and I said, as long as we're straight with each other, we're going to be good. Yeah. You know, so he says, and, and Pun wasn't there. And I said, well, you know, when can I meet Pun? I said, I'm leaving Friday. I go, how about Thursday? So he said, all right, perfect. So I had a guy by the name of Matty C who discovered Biggie. Yeah. Um, who found Biggie in the sauce, you know, the unsigned yeah. hype. And I had a, a royalty check waiting for Matty that it took him six weeks to pick up. And, um, so it wasn't about money for Matty. It was always the music. Yeah. So the meeting was called for 11.30. I get into the office around 9.30, 10, and Matty's already in the office. He's probably out all night. And I'm like, and we're sharing an office. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, do you have a meeting with Punt? And I'm like, yeah. I said, all right. I'm, I'm. <laughs> he came for that meeting. I signed Pun without hearing one ounce of music because Matty showed up to that meeting. That's that, that energy again. You know, Joe thought I was full of shit. I was like, who's your lawyer? They walked in, like, pun, nice meeting, you got a deal. And they said, we haven't heard the music. I said, that's your job to make the music. I'm not worried about that. You are here. And I believed in Joe. Me and Joe had a great meeting on that Tuesday. Joe's an incredible businessman. Because, like, I, you, I know now from being in it and on different stages of my own career how hard it is constantly pivoting, constantly having to reinvent yourself. To have a run, I mean, let's leave Jay and that type of run out of just the idea that like Fat Joe from 1991 and now 2023 sitting courtside at an all-star game, Mm -hmm. you know, that's within the world that we're in. That's like a symbol of the ultimate relevance. And he's always there. He's always there. And it feels like the culture you built in your office, because that was another thing. I remember from Mark and I, we would go up to your office and that was where we felt the most welcome, like where you let us sit around. And I sat around in your waiting room, not even like the second waiting room, the first waiting room, you know, like the one before the door with the button that would let you in. And even that felt welcoming. And it felt like you knew to have those type of people around you that could find talent, but you could feel the energy through them. And then you still could spot talent. And you took a chance, it felt like on a a lot of artists that maybe a lot of labels wouldn't have, right? Even the way you like 
dove into Mob Deep at the time, and um, and there was always like even drama around so many of the artists that you represented. But within your office, it felt like it was some safe haven. I mean, it was oh, it's definitely a safe haven. But you know, I love to say as great as the roster that I put together, look at some of the executives I found. I mean, that to me is you know, given Guy Osiri getting him his first record deal with a rap group, you know, signed to Elektra, giving Scooter his first record deal. Um, I know we didn't do the deal, but you know, seeing See, you and seeing you and Mark in the beginning of your guys' career, I mean, that yep. I get off on that. I mean, that's another plaque on my wall, like, yep. and 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 that's how I, I look at it. You know, Rob Stone. You know, the same thing. You know, Rob yep. was already proving himself, and he was the star executive. And then when we joined forces, it was like, that's that was one of my proudest accomplishments was getting Rob away from Arista and starting Cornerstone with him. Yeah, because he was the most sought after executive in the game. Yeah. So many amazing music executives came from the promo game. Like some came from the street game, but some mm -hmm. really came like up the ranks of the record business through promo. Yeah, you know, because back in the day when there were record stores and radio really meant something, a great promotion guy, you had to deal with everything. You had to deal, yeah, with radio, but then you had to deal with retail because radio would call retail to see what was selling. Yeah. Right? Then you would have to deal with local press and like and just like you really had to own your market. So the hat that you wore had to cover a, a whole bunch of different yeah. bases. So if you were just marketing, you were just straight marketing. If you were A&R, your job was to make the music, but you should have been involved also in everything. And that's why in the 90s and, and how I grew up, a lot of the chairmans were promotion men. Mm -hmm. They all came from that. Yeah, so it was like when we would sign a record, Maddie could make the record, give me the record, and then I could run to Hot 97 or Power 106, you know, wherever we were if we needed to but yep. like we just we did everything methodical as crazy as we were there was still a method to our madness mm -hmm. did you get caught up like at that time and how caught up did you have to get in the east coast west coast though or were you always somewhat neutral we were switzerland i had offices don't forget we had offices on both coasts were you cool with suge me i only met suge once my whole entire life do you think Suge, as an executive, like when you look at that run, we did a poll on Boardroom the other day or within our staff of like hip-hop rap label executives, like trying to stay in the niche. And Suge was higher up than I would have imagined based on um, just like, I don't know necessarily if it was him as much as it was like having two transcendent stars that like carried the brand on their back or if it was him in some ways. You know, I think it was a team effort. I mean, Jimmy swears that Suge, in the beginning stages, was one of the best executives ever. Really? Yeah. Um, he was a great businessman, smart guy. You know, and you, the one thing is you never heard him really taking advantage of the artist. And when I'm saying he fought. Well, then. <laughs> yeah, and when I'm, saying, when I'm saying he fought for his artist, not fought with his fist, but like he would really try and go the extra mile for his artists. Oh, yeah, I would imagine so, against anyone else. Yeah. Um, but, like I said, I only met him once. So, and it was like, I called him one time when we were about to start the second Woo album to see if we could get Snoop on the album. And he never returned my call. <laughs> and then I met him right before he went away again. Yeah. Who of that era like drove you like did puffy or jay or damon did you look at any of them and it motivate you or nah if you can't motivate yourself yeah then you, you can't be in business for yourself like 
you know, it's like at that time, you know, I had a staff of close to 100 people. So it was like when I'm waking up in the morning brushing my teeth, you know, I was a brand new father and I had 100 people working for me. So it was like that was my responsibility, yeah. you know. You know, I wanted Puff to succeed. You know, Dame I've known since he's 15, 16 years old when he was managing original flavor on Atlantic Records. You know, he would come up, him and his cousin would come up to the office, you know, and scream and, you know, we ended up you know, having an amazing relationship. We did paid in full together. So, like, I never worried about yeah. what the next one's going to do because if you're going to look over your shoulder, you're going to trip eventually. Yeah. Just focus on what you got to do. I, f- I mean, I feel like that was even looking at some of the relationships you guys all have now, Russell, L.A. Reid, all, all of you. I mean, this is who I, you know, I was a, I wanted to be an athlete too growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of us all did in some way, shape, or form. But quickly, the like admiration I had for all of you guys and 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 Sylvia Roan and Julie Greenwald, like everyone of that era that I just saw as like bigger than life in the same way that I looked at artists or the same way I looked at athletes. Um, and to me, from my vantage point, it really has changed business. It has changed a lot. Do you think that's a bit of a bias or do your kids, who I know are in the music industry as well, do you feel like that era is revered in the same way that it should be? I don't know. That, I mean, that's an amazing question. It's like when I talk to my oldest son, who I work, who we work together, you know, he likes to hear the stories, you know, everything. But I'm, I, I'm standing back because I don't know what to do. It's like you know, I'm used to the phone ringing twenty four seven, you know, having three calls on hold while I'm dealing, you know. And it's like, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, Alex, what do you need me to fucking do? And, you know, and it's like, man, just relax. I'll, you know, right? So it was like one time, he, you know, a few months ago, he goes, Dad, make this call. I, I was so happy. I was like, man, I, I finally accomplished something for today. Yeah. Because it's just a different, I mean, every tactic is different. The mm-hmm. What you crave, like the number one record or selling a certain amount the first week, just the whole, everything is different. But the stars, like some of these executives, Coach K and P and Sal, these are um, a generation that I'm sure can point back to what you guys did. I mean, definitely Coach. Um, It's like I'm just so happy, you know, for what him and P did, you know, with Scooter and even what, what Top's doing. You know, I had a conversation, it was yesterday, you know, somebody told me I left SRC, I sold it in 2012. There was no streaming yet. So from 2012 or 2000, yes, when I left to today, Akon streamed 19 billion streams. And I'm like, how much money is that? And I'm like, what, what am I missing? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Out. You know, and I'm like, you know, I called my lawyer this morning. These are true facts. I'm like, this wasn't, there was like, yeah. how do I get some of this money? Like, I don't even know what 19 billion streams is money-wise. A lot. So I was like, that's crazy. And that's just one artist. And that's, but that's what the North Star is then, because that's like less of it is, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm not in it. I watch it. We cover it. But less of it is building these like foundational stars. Someone that's like still with you, you know, like the way I feel about Mm -hmm. the era that, you know, you were part of do you get surprised at like jay-z and puffy's success at this caliber ever no, no way right you no knew way. it who didn't know it? i mean it's like i mean playing. i remember one time 
I was walking, I was on 20th Street and Park Avenue. And I see, it was it the 190 Mercedes? And it was wrapped with Rockefeller. And I was like, all right. They got it. These guys are onto something. And Damon was a incredible executive. He, right? he doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it takes two. Like, yeah. I mean, nobody could question how smart Jay is, everything. But Damon's also brilliant, you know. And it was just like, unfortunately, you know, they yeah. went their own ways. But, I mean, you know, Dame, Jay, and Biggs. I mean, they were, I mean. Everyone were, needed everyone. Yeah. Do you, like for me, I have a kids that are 13 and 9. You had kids young, right? I was 33 when I had my first kid. But you were in the, you were in it. You were in the middle of it. Yeah. Was balance hard back then? Because the record industry back then, and what I tell a lot of people that work with us here, is I felt, um, I felt f- like fearful of going home too early, or like I felt fearful of ever f- being seen as like not having a phone in my hand or on my BlackBerry or something. That was the climate. Like, like his first three years, you know, before preschool started, wherever I went. I would take him with me. Always. Always. And then we had places here in L.A. I would run home while he would eat dinner. I would have his crumbs and then go back out and do whatever I had to do. Um, But then there were times where it was just me and him where I would take him on the road with me. Mm -hmm. So you prioritized it early. That's amazing. I mean, I learned, I, 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 as crazy as I was, the love that I had for my dad, the love that I had for my uncle, the love that I had for my grandfather, I'm still all about family. Yeah. I, I've always felt that way. I mean, I know your brother well. You know, I've, I've always seen you as like one of those guys because that was, that was something I remember from back then too. Like it's, when you're hustling, and I know this, like if you're young and you're hustling, it's the, the, the kind of like... Um, the things you want are not necessarily like you don't want a job. You don't want a a chance. You feel like you're going to get that. You just want someone to kind of like make sure that they can relate or acknowledge you or be like, you'll keep going. Like, I don't, you don't want to turn that off because that's like oxygen. You did that, right? You never turned it off to the young people around you. And I remember vividly family or you are asking about it. And to me, that's something I look at now because And when you're interviewing someone, you can't, right? You can't technically get into that. But from the psychology of like where you prioritize family as an entrepreneur and where you don't, I think that when we were younger, that you almost were looked at crazy if you prioritize family as much as your business. You really were. And I was never like that. You were never like that. And that's what I always admired about you. But I think that's changed quite a bit now. Unless you think... What that people are about that is family balance, obviously. Like you, you can't even say those words back then. It, it's such a different business, right? I mean, I guess COVID, right? I saw you right before COVID I, at the concert. Yep, yep. Right. So, I mean, people are working at a home now. This, that, so on. So, I guess there can be a, a balance, but and there should be a balance. But you just, you know, if you're gonna have kids. You brought them into the world. You got to step up. You know, you, you can't be one and done and like, oh, and go to the baby mama. I'm out. Like, take responsibility. A hundred percent. Let me ask you like a tactical business question because, you know, we talked earlier, you came up 
the phrase street team and street marketing when we were in the record business was like plastering stickers and showing up in front of every right party and going from market to market. That got lost and then that got somehow was like acknowledged as like a waste of money, right? Like don't put a billboard up or don't do traditional marketing. It's all digital, digital, digital. Now we're 20 some odd years of hearing that and digital is so saturated, you can't break through. And the value around marketing and the physical and creating experience is back. And you know, you being someone that helped bring that into um, the music industry, do you see that coming back again as like a real value add? And how can you take some of that skill set you have again and like, bring that to life. I have that conversation with my son every single day. It's like, I, you know, pressing a button and looking at analytics, you can't read anything, you can't feel anything, you can't smell it. And I was like, you do what you do and let me do what I do and then watch what happens. So, and it's a lot of screaming, a lot of arguing, but we're finally in a, a rhythm, like I said, like I, I just don't wanna sit, I'm used to my, my phone ringing 24-7, you know, when you had an office, four or five lines on hold. And then, and then at, at, the, at the end of the day, it's like we're in a rhythm now. And, you know, and we do have this artist that's breaking. A year ago, he had donuts all across the board. He had zero followers on TikTok, no monthly listeners on Spotify, nothing. And now I think we're, what, close to 600,000 on TikTok and um, 200,000 on Spotify. So, and it's just like, and I'm like, get this kid out. His energy. Gotta get out into the world. Right. He has to start. To, and, and the kid works. And the kid really works. So tell me everything you're doing right now. Because I know I mentioned earlier Loud, SRC, the street team. But you're still in it. You're as relevant and in it again as you've ever been. And you look as good, if I do say so. I, pr I appreciate you've it. You've been in a long time, brother. Look young. I feel thin. Young. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me everything you're doing. Started a new label. Um, I took my dad's label, which was called Spring Records. So we um, were calling the Spring Sound. So we just added a little bit of that. I have that. I'm going into the concert business now. So it's like, you know, you look at all these legacy artists. You know, I'm working on a residency in Vegas. Um, That's cool. What, switching up the, or like a not, block at a time? Uh, no, it's just going to be. It's gonna be just a hip hop residency, That's and it's, cool. it's not gonna be just loud. It's gonna be everybody, and it's gonna be. Uh, we don't know if it's once a month, twice a month. We I have love to, that. So, um, there's that, and I'm going back into consulting, taking on your expertise over the last yeah thirty some odd years, and I feel like that's what businesses and young founders right now are craving is like that conduit between. Um, I'm still relevant. I still understand what's happening in culture right now, but I can tell you like both sides of the fence. I can tell you years of mistakes I made and things I did. And then I have a Rolodex that is like untouchable. Yeah. You know, and the, and the thing is I also sold two record companies where one wasn't like they were both granted loud might've been the coolest label in the world. But SRC might have even been bigger than, than Loud. Yeah. I mean, we had the biggest artists in the world. Was Akon the biggest artist you worked with ever? In terms of just sheer global magnitude? Yeah, yeah I mean, it was 19 billion streams. And it's crazy. <laughs> without anybody, with no promotion, no marketing, just on the record. Incredible, man. Well, for me, this interview um, definitely 
was, like I said, a full circle moment. I feel like there's a lot we still have to do in life together, whether it's in sports or music. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time coming on Boardroom. I appreciate it. Man. I just want to say how proud I am. And just like seeing you where you are now and like, you know, following you on Instagram and just seeing you who you're with, this, that or whatever, and really what you've accomplished, man. So it makes me happy. And I'm- Thank you, bro. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, download, go to boardroom.tv, and we'll be back soon.